Welcome to the Learn to Lead podcast brought to you by Ability, an experiential learning company based in beautiful Austin, Texas. I'm your host, Matthew Confer, and today on the show, we have Jason Pfeiffer. Jason is the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine. He is the host of the Build for Tomorrow podcast and the author of the book by the same title. Thanks so much for joining us today, Jason. Thanks for having me. When I was preparing for this conversation, I noticed that in the description for your upcoming book, it mentioned that you focused on a guide to resilience using the power of change to your advantage. Given your research and your work on the book, why is it so important to cultivate resilience and how do we use change to our advantage? Well, so it's so important. It's funny, when I first became editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine, people kept asking me the same question wherever I, wherever I went, I mean, not to lunch, but you know, whenever I went to a conference or something, they would, they would be interviewed and they would say, what are the qualities of the most successful people you meet? And I, I started to think, boy, I should have an answer to that. Like people keep asking me, why did, why are they asking me that? And um, by the way, it's just sort of fun side tip. Um, if you listen to the questions that people ask you, you discover, and this is what I eventually realized, you discover that they are actually telling you what they think your value is to them. And so the more that you can fulfill the value that people expect you to have, then the more valuable you really are. And so again, I, I started to think, well, what is the answer to this question? Um, I spent a long time talking to people about it as editor-in-chief of, mag of a magazine about entrepreneurship. I, I get access to everybody. It's pretty amazing. And so I get to talk to people uh, large and small. And uh, I came to this answer. The answer was adaptability. The most successful people are adaptable. That, that's the thing. That's the thing that separates because, because everybody has an idea and everybody, well, some, some people won't ever try to put that idea into practice, but those who do will discover that that idea is not quite right. Or maybe it was right for a moment, but then it's not going to be right for the next moment. And the thing that separates people and enables the ones who are the most successful to succeed is their ability to adapt, to change, to, to believe that um, there is a separation between the thing that they're doing and the core reason and value that they have to the world, and that there's a million ways to express that value. And I, I, I just, I really wanted to understand how do people who are good at this do it? I'm, I'm going to take that as a piece of wisdom that I'm going to go with. I'm going to adapt the question order that I was planning to, to sure. ask you. And I'm going to say, how did you prepare for those interviews? You obviously wanted to get something out of those interviews that then served as the basis for the book. What did preparation look like for you before you talked to the individuals that you talked to for the book? So I, the book, Build for Tomorrow, is really the collection of wisdom and, and the, the processing of that wisdom of years worth of interviewing people about all sorts of things. I did interview some people specifically for the book, but also, you know, I just, I, I got to spend lots of time with lots of really fascinating people over the years at Entrepreneur and, you know, sit down with the likes of Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Ryan Reynolds, but also Main Street Heroes who are just running really interesting businesses. And, um, and because I had grown to be obsessed with this question about how people are adaptable. I would kind of always work it into the things that we're talking about. I was just always curious about it. You know, I find in in, in the way that uh, in the way that people uh, I, I don't know that much about agriculture, but you know, I know that um, 
I know that when an animal is slaughtered, the, the idea is basically to use every single part of it in, in as many ways as possible, right? Like just like down to the grit. And uh, I had to think about that in terms of access that I have to people. <laughs> just like If I have access to you, I want to know everything and I want to be able to use it in all sorts of different ways. I'm going to, maybe I'll tell a story here um, for the magazine and then I'll also kind of speak it on, uh, on, on stage and maybe I'll take some of it for a book. But anyway, uh, but I will tell you this one thing because um, I think you were in a way kind of prompting maybe like a, a good interview tip. And here's my, here's my great interview tip for what it's worth. I believe that the best things that you're ever going to get out of somebody come when you pose a theory to them. So when I ever, whenever I interview somebody, what I tend to do is I go in with like a, a very small handful of real que of questions that I've written down, or at least topics that I want to hit. Um, but the plan is to use those as starters and then like immediately abandon whatever plan I had and just kind of listen to them and react to it. Um, and then once I have enough enough information about them, I start to throw theories at them. You know, it's interesting that you said this thing over here. And I wonder if actually the reason why you feel that way is because of this other thing that happened to you a long time ago. And that's gotten you to think about this thing, right? Because, because that forces people to think in front of you and to, to say things that they might not have considered before. You know, people who are used to being interviewed have been asked the same questions a million times and they have the same answers. But if you force them to think in front of you, they're going to give you something original and new. And so I always do that whenever I interview people. And sometimes, especially when we're talking about change and how people have adapted, you get the best stuff. When I, when I learned a little bit about the book, I, I learned about the fact that you talk about change in four phases and changes obviously come up in, in your first two answers. Can you describe the phases and, and why it's a powerful framing mechanism to be aware of? Yeah, this is something I came to realize during the pandemic. I had been very interested in how people are able to adapt before, but then the pandemic was served as this kind of fascinating study because everybody was going through the same change at the same time. You, you got to see how some people advanced and saw ways to grow whatever it is that they were doing and other people fell behind. And, um, and I came to realize that change happens to all of us in four phases, panic, adaptation, new normal, wouldn't go back. Hmm. And the question, the distinction between people is really how fast can you move through those phases? Everyone will feel all four of them. Everyone will feel panic over change. Everyone will then start to figure out how to adapt. Everyone will find some kind of new normal, some, something, that is, something that is comfortable again, something that feels stable and familiar again. And then uh, you can get to wouldn't go back. That moment where you say, I have something so new and valuable that I wouldn't want to go back to a time before I had it. And it is so interesting to watch people go through that. And it's cool to tell people about that when they are experiencing some change themselves. And they'll totally say like, oh my God, I'm still in phase one panic right now. And, um, and there are, you know, th th there are things that you can do while you're in the middle of these things. But I think that the greatest thing that we can do is be aware that this is the process and start to build ourselves as resilient thinkers, as people who have a really clear understanding of our value to the world that isn't reliant upon any one particular expression of it, so that we become nimble and we feel detached isn't exactly the right word, but able to detach from the things that no longer work the second that they don't work. And we can reconsider things that we once thought were impossible or too difficult or too crazy. Because sometimes, you know, I found that through the pandemic and through any other moments of big change, the things that people did to advance themselves, to grow their lives and grow their businesses were things that were not 
like radical new ideas, they were often ideas that they had had before and that they had discarded because they didn't fit into what they were doing or they were too difficult or too complicated. And the more that we can embrace that idea of reconsidering the impossible, the more we can move through these phases with confidence. One thing that I, I know originally intrigued me about your work and has probably kept me coming back to it is the stories that you tell about companies in both Entrepreneur Magazine, but also on the podcast. Do you have one that sticks out of somebody who you were pretty impressed with how they responded to change and adversity and maybe completely pivoted their business or completely changed the way that they do things and now they do have that wouldn't go back moment? Yeah, well, so I, you know, I talked to a lot of people who... We're in one line of work and it just uh, it just stopped working and they closed down the business and started something else. And th that's very impressive. Um, but I'm going to tell you that the stories that really stick with me are the ones in which somebody made some kind of change that, again, they just didn't think was a good idea before. And then they discovered that it was a good idea and it opened their eyes to all of the different possibilities. So I Here's one that I that I always um, think about. There's a woman named Lena. She has a wig store in Baltimore called Lena's Wigs. And during the and she operated at like a storefront. You know what a storefront is. People walk in, they can shop. And then the pandemic arrives and she's not able to operate the storefront in the same way. People can't just walk in off the street. And so she thinks, well, what is she going to do? How does she save this business? And so the only thing she can think to do is to move to appointment-only viewing. And that is, again, like I said, not a radical idea, something she was very aware of existed before, but she had discarded it as not right for her because she didn't want to add friction to her customers, which of course makes sense. Why would you make it more difficult for somebody to come to your store? But she had to do it, so she did it. And what she discovered to her great shock and delight was that moving to appointment only actually increased her revenue and her profits and made her customers happy. Why? Well, because as it turns out, you know, Lena was operating the storefront and she was she had hired somebody to greet all the people who were walking in off the street. The people who were walking in off the street were not her customers. Those were people who were curious about wigs, but they weren't going to buy a wig. The people who buy wigs are people who are doing so for some medical or religious purpose, and they don't want to be trying on wigs with some randos off the street walking around. They are much happier to make an appointment and have a private experience. And so Lena was spending money to greet people who were never going to be her customers. And meanwhile, she was filling the store with people who were making her actual customers kind of uncomfortable. And so the best thing that she could do was actually close the door and just focus on the people who actually want her service and would like a, a private experience. And so as a result, she didn't have to pay this person to greet the people coming in off the street anymore. And she was able to make her true customers happier. And then that gave her a, a clarity of purpose about her business and how she could serve people. And it has helped her expand her business. And now, funny enough, she's had to hire an assistant again. But now that assistant has a very clear role and it helps her focus exactly on how to build sales where it matters. You're, you're on the precipice of this book kind of being released as, as we're chatting right now. What do you wish you had known when you started out on this in this process? If you could give yourself a piece of advice or give other authors a piece of advice, what would that be? Oh, that's a good question. Well, look, there's there's making the book and then there's marketing the book. Uh, one thing that I, I've been doing for years is I've been keeping a spreadsheet, which I call good contacts. Anybody who I meet over, over the last number of years who, who is worth being in touch with for any number of reasons, um, they go into the spreadsheet in different tabs, media, entrepreneurs, investors, whatever. I, so I have this wonderful resource. And, and I, I've been, you know, like when I was talking to my publisher and marketing team, I was always like, I got this great resource. 
And then it came time to actually put this resource into action, which is what I'm doing now. And I realized, oh my God, this is extremely complicated. And I don't think that I had organized this properly. And like, I don't exactly know how and when to reach out to all of these people and what exactly I should be doing. And, um, and I realized it was probably a better system. Um, and um, to, to like, not just is, you know, it's funny. I mean, this is like the, this is like the, 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 the data problem that literally everybody in business faces, which is like, you gather a lot of data and then what do you do with it? It's separate things. Just having the data is not actually all that useful unless you know what to do with it. So I wish that I was a little more proactive in the years leading up to this into exactly how I was going to like build a network and then activate that network. Instead, what I have is just like a lot of names and email addresses. So, um, but I'm figuring it out. I'm figuring it out. Um, but look, the answer, the reason why I tell you that is because for anybody who's thinking about a book, you like the marketing of the book should begin before the book exists, mm. you should, right? Like you don't, if, if you, if you think that like the, when the, the month before a book comes out is the time to like get going, you are way behind. Um, I, you know, I, I have, I hired a PR company and when I was interviewing PR companies, like, like eight months ago, everyone told me, oh good, your book, your book is out uh, nearly a year from now. That's exactly when you should be talking to us. We get calls all the time from panicked authors who are like, my book is coming out in a month and I need PR. And you're like, eh, too bad. Like not enough time for that now. Um, you really, really, really have to plan ahead. You, you hit on it earlier in an answer that, that you've interviewed hundreds of successful leaders. What are the skills that you believe are underappreciated in terms of what it takes to be successful in a leadership role? Um, I... I I think vulnerability. I mean, I, I know that that's probably not the most unique answer, but I hear it all the time from people and I find it to be true myself that, um, that when you are open with your team and when you do not present yourself as somebody who has all the answers, you empower people to be solution, solution creators themselves. And, um, and, and those are the kinds of people that you want on, on your team. You want people who are not sitting around and like waiting for you. You want people who are going to be proactive and who appreciate that you're a real human. And, 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 and I think that when you are vulnerable with your team, you know, I mean, look, you can't tell, you can't like share every anxiety because you'll freak people out, but right. But like to a degree, I, I just think it's incredibly valuable to be able to say to somebody who, who, who sees you as a leader. I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. Uh, I'll, I, 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 we'll work it out. We'll figure it out. I, I don't know the answer. I mean, I, I, I say, I don't know all the time. Um, and, um, and, and I, I, you know, if, if I'm working with people who are experts in something, I just keep stressing to them. I, I, I don't know, you know, which is the reason why I'm excited to work with you. I don't care. You know, people will be like, what do you think? I, I don't care what I think. What I think is so uninteresting to me. I care what you think. And um, I just think that's the best way to lead. As a final question, before we shift, shift to our rapid fire questions, you, you talked about change and resilience as, as two themes that, that constantly came up for you. The theme that has constantly came up on this show is curiosity, that people have talked a lot about. Um, I, I felt like I was a curious person and that drove a lot of my success. Mm. What are you the most curious about right now in your space, outside of your space, dealing with the book, not dealing with the book? What does curiosity look like to you right now? Oh, that's, that's a really interesting question. I mean, I I, I also feel driven by curiosity. It is, it is the reason that I have the information at my fingertips that I have, um, right? Like, uh, I'll give you an example. I was at, I was speaking to a corporate executive team recently, and they're going through a big change. And 
somebody mentioned that there's a lot of nostalgia at the company right now for the way that the company used to be for people who had been there for a number of years before it like hit this growth spurt. Now, a lot of nostalgia for that. And, and I, I, I just, I went into this 10 minute monologue about how our memory works and about this thing is totally fascinating called fading affect bias, which it's a sort of natural phenomenon that are, that are, that happens in our brains where we retain the emotions associated with good experiences much longer than we retain the emotions associated with bad experiences. Doesn't mean that we forget the bad experiences, but we, with the, the emotions that were attached to them fade away. And the reason for that is because it's, it's not useful, right? It's not useful to, 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 to always be caught back, like, like pulled back into bad experiences because you have to move forward. Like we are built, you know, our brains are not built to be, uh, our brains are not hard drives. They're not built to be just like retention devices because memories are really only useful if they are propelling us forward. Our, our, our bodies are built to survive and move into the future, not to retain the past. And so we are really built to kind of filter out things that would, that would hold us back. And that's not to say that it works perfectly every time and trauma can of course change this, but whatever. The point is, um, I, I, why do I know that? I know that because because like I, 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 as when the vaccines first started coming out, I started to see all these people express this nostalgia for the pandemic experience that they were now going to leave where, you know, we were all home and we were with our families. And I thought, this is so weird that we're now expressing nostalgia over this thing that like we all were just suffering through. Why are we doing that? And so I, I just, I started, I called some memory researchers and, uh, and, and I, and I talked to them about like, how does our brain work? And like, how do our memories work? And why do they work the way that they do? And the wonderful thing is that if you engage people on like the things that they're completely obsessed over, they will talk to you, especially if you're recording it and you're going to put it on a podcast, which is what I did. And, um, and that just fills me with this information that I, that, that, that is just valuable in ways that I couldn't have possibly expected. Like I didn't call these memory research researchers because two years later I was going to be at a corporate like retreat talking to this team. I did it because I was curious and because I knew that this information was just going to be valuable to me. And so what am I curious about right now? I don't know, man, like everything, like just random things, you know, like just, just the most, the most, I mean, like I'm working on an episode about right now about, about like the, 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 like the history of action figures, because they're completely fascinating and they kind of actually really inform the cultural conversations we're having about the evolution of toys right now. Like, you know, wh why is that useful? I don't know, but I just think that it's going to be. And so that's, that's how I operate that. I mean, that'll be on the build for tomorrow podcast. Um, and, you know, and then making that podcast has really informed my worldview and helped me write the build for tomorrow book. Well, I will definitely put a plug in for the Build for Tomorrow podcast. It, it is one of my favorites. Um, and that answer is a wonderful spot to shift us to our final two rapid fire questions that I get to ask all of our guests. And question number one is this, if you could describe your leadership style, but I just gave you one word, what would that word be? Trust. And the final rapid fire question is this, what is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? When I was a young reporter, I started out in community newspapers and I would go and I would interview the mayor or whatever. And the mayor would just sort of casually be talking about something that's working. They're working on it. it was like, Oh, well, we just sent out an RFP for something, something. And, um, and I would write RFP and then I would like circle it and I'd put a question mark so that later I could go back to the office and figure out what in the hell RFP is. And because I didn't want to tell him that I didn't know, I didn't want to ask. I, I, I thought I should know these things and therefore I will not reveal that I don't know. Mm -hmm. And then an older reporter 
told me, uh, I, I, I can't, this must have come up. An older reporter told me, never be afraid to ask what you think are stupid questions because mm -hmm. people would always rather you get it right than you not know. Mm -hmm. And I have found that to be exceptionally true that I will ask very smart people very dumb questions and they will fill me in and they will seem to enjoy it. And I come away with a better understanding. And sometimes I even come away with a, a fresh view of something because I was coming in as an outsider and asking exceptionally basic questions. Um, it has guided everything that I've done. And that's my advice to you. Never be afraid to ask dumb questions. Well, never being afraid to ask all of the questions that you have is a wonderful spot to close this out. Thank you so much for joining us today. Where can our listeners find out about you and the book? Uh, so you can find out about me at my website, jasonpfeiffer.com. You can find me on all the socials, um, Instagram at heypfeiffer, LinkedIn, Jason Pfeiffer. Uh, and you can find the book wherever you find books. Um, wherever you find books is where my book is. If for some weird reason you cannot think of a single place that sells books, then you can go to my website, which is jasonpfeiffer.com slash book, uh, which is a good place to find my book. But otherwise, um, think of a place that you have bought your last book and my book is there. Well, thanks for all the great insight. Thanks to all of our wonderful listeners for joining us. If you enjoyed today's show, we would love a rating and review in your podcast app of choice. And we truly appreciate it when you share our show with your network. You can find me on social media at Matthew Confer. You can find our show on Instagram at Ability Sims. And you can find our organization at Ability, that is A-B-I-L-I-T-I-E.com. I want to thank Jason again for joining us on this episode. And of course, I want to thank all of you for joining us on the Learn to Lead podcast. This podcast is produced by Ability, a leading provider of award-winning leadership development. You can find us at www.ability.com or by searching for Ability Leadership Development. Make sure to also check out our 12-week fully virtual mini MBA, the Invited MBA, a nights and weekends program that features experiential learning, mentorship, case studies, and networking. Find more information at www.invitedmba.com. Finally, be sure to subscribe to our podcast so that you get our next episode. We wanna thank you all for joining us on the Learn to Lead podcast.